Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. What I'd like to do this morning is take you through um, a passage of scripture which um, starts in Luke chapter 17. If you want to find that. There's a, a, a passage here which has a, a theme running through it. and The word faith keeps on cropping up in this passage. Um, but as I was reading this, I was drawn to a particular, a particular verse for starters, which is Luke 17 and verse 6, where Jesus said this. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea... And it will obey you. And I just thought that was quite intriguing, really. I mean, where, what's the last place you'd plant a tree? I mean, trees planted in salt water doesn't work, really, does it? Um, it's like taking something out of its natural environment and putting it in a completely hostile environment. But even in that environment, it can still live. And that's a, an amazing extreme image, obviously, that Jesus Jesus brings out to, to illustrate faith. And I was, I was thinking about that, I had a sort of a, a picture for you, um, for you as a group, um, and it was the, the, the picture, and I don't take this too far, just, just go as far as it goes, right? the, the, the picture was of, a, of, a, of a, I don't know, a plant in a plant pot. And the thing about the plant pot is that you decide what the environment is that the plant is planted in. So you can put what you like in that pot. You can put the best compost you can imagine, you can put the soil out in the back garden, you can get, the, get some lovely loam from Lincolnshire and stick that in it. You can decide the environment that, that the plant goes in. And if at any other time you want to transplant that plant and replant it elsewhere, well, okay, then it goes into a different environment, and then it'll have a, a new relationship with a new environment that it's in. But as so long as it's in the pot, you can decide what environment your plant is living in. And I just want to, to encourage you this morning to, to, be, to be a people who are a people of, of faith and just to see how that, that works out in various aspects. Uh, I know you're thinking about maybe changing location and you know, being, being in a different place. Um, but whatever you, what, however that works out, wherever you end up, or whatever the new relationship is that, that, that comes out of that, what you can take with you and what you can keep with you is an environment that you choose to have. And you can have and, and, and carry with you an environment of faith. And that's a choice that you can make. And I just want to look this morning at some aspects of, of faith that Jesus talks about uh, in this passage. So it starts off um, Luke 17 and verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. And I think an aspect of, of, being, a people of, of being a people of faith, of people who are watchful, people who are watchful, people who watch out for each other, watch out for their community. Um, we, were, we were reading through um, the, the book of Revelation earlier this year in, um, uh, in, in Gateway, in Leeds. And uh, I, I, got, I got really struck reading about one of the churches 
uh, that Jesus wrote a letter to in the early, early books. And there's, the, and there's the church in Sardis. It's the church that Jesus said, you've a reputation of being alive, but actually you're dead, wake up, because you're about to come to a sticky end. And I'm not saying God's saying that to you, right? I'm just using this to make, it, to make a point. The point about Sardis was um, its physical location was, was fascinating. Um, if, you were a, if you were a tourist and you were, you were going to visit uh, Sardis as a, as a place, um, you, you come to this valley and then at 1,000, 1,500 feet up in the air, there's, there's this you know, virtually sheer rock and then there's this city on the top of it. So Sardis was a, a natural, impregnable fortress. And, um, you know, you, and your tour guide, your clever tour guide would say to you, and can you imagine anyone breaking into that city? and overcoming it. And of course, you know, dumb tourists would all say, no, of course not. Well, and then he'd say, well, it happened twice, about 500 BC and about 300 BC. And, and what had happened on two occasions um, in this, this city, invading armies had got, got up to it, looked at the walls and thought, how on earth are we going to get up there? Um, but either one person in one case or a small group in another case had actually scaled, um, scaled this, this sort of tall rock face, crept into the city and opened the gates from the inside. And the reason they were able to do that was because on two occasions, the watchmen weren't doing their job. And you think, oh, you know, you've got this impregnable fortress. All you've got to do is keep your eyes open. But twice, the whole city was undermined from the inside. And just as I was reflecting on that, it, what struck me was, was the place that these people were attacked was the place that they thought was the strongest. They thought their, their physical location, their height, their distance from the ground... Their, their, their natural fortress that they, that they were living in, that would make them impregnable. That would make them, um, it'd make them impossible for anyone to break in there. And yet at the point they thought they were strongest, somebody broke in. Um, I remember being associated with a church some years ago where they were very strong on the whole issue of accountability and, and did it very well on the whole of the church. But there was a point in which they stopped being quite as good at it as, as they needed to do. And in fact, one of the leaders fell into, fell into sin. Um, and basically he ran off with another woman uh, had, a, had a terrible impact on the church as you can imagine and one of the things that struck people the most they said well oh, we're supposed to be good at this you know, we're supposed to be good at accountability how come nobody saw this coming but it was the place that they were actually considered to be their strongest that was the place that they actually ended up being undermined and I, I say that with no sense of, of judgement because I know how these things can work out and these things can happen um, and they've, they've worked their way through that this is a few, few years ago now but the point was, we thought we were strong here, and yet the place we thought we were strong, somebody's come in and opened the door. So, Gateway Doncaster, quiz time. Somebody visits your church and they go away and they say, do you know about that church? Where would they say you're strong? You can talk to me, we're all friends here. What would you say? I'll tell you something somebody said to me actually, but... Um, There seems to be a unanimous sense of loving community. A, a particular aspect of that that somebody, uh, actually more than one person, has said to me, making a comparison between the, the, the kind of life that you have here and the kind of life that we have in Leeds, although in many ways they're different, uh, was somebody said that, that, that the, people, the people who we are not so good at embracing and who can end up on our fringe of the church, somebody said, I if they went to Doncaster, they'd be right in the middle of it. There's that, there's that sense of an ability, a capacity to embrace people. Other churches might think, I'm not quite sure what to do. And there's, that's a real, that says something about a certain level of immaturity where we are, what we're working on. 
Um, but also great strength, I think, that you have here. But watch it. Because that's where you're strong, that is a place where an enemy try, may try and undermine you. So I just want to encourage you, be a people of faith, be a watchful people, you've got good strengths here. But keep an eye on your strengths, and keep them strong. second thing I want to say is about um, uh, a people of faith. A people of faith are a people of unending forgiveness. Uh, Jesus goes on, he says in verse 3, second half, if your brother sins, rebuke him, if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. And the apostle said, increase our faith. Jesus replied, if you're faithful to mustard seed, you can go planting mulberry bushes in the sea. And then he says, suppose one of you had a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat. Wouldn't he rather say, get my supper ready, will you? And uh, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink, and then you can do whatever you want to do. Would he thank the servant because he did as he was told? So you also, when you've done everything, you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done our duty. And you just have to see the context of that sin. Jesus is making a particular point at a particular instance in time here. He's talked to his disciples about the need to be forgiving people. And their first reaction is, man, this will take a bit of faith. And Jesus said, well, okay, but if you've got tiny, tiny little faith, you know, if you're thinking small in Jesus' day, you think mustard seed. Mustard seed is small. You know, they didn't think bacteria, they thought mustard seed. You think something that small. If you've got faith like that, you can go planting trees in the sea. If you've got faith like that, isn't that enough faith to enable you to forgive people? And then just to make the point a bit more, he said, look, come on, you're, you're a master and your, your servants are coming in. And, uh, you're, uh, and he doesn't care what you've done all day. You might have got the harvest in. You might have been doing goodness knows what. He wants his dinner on the table and the washing up done afterwards. And then after that, you can go off and do whatever it is you need to do. And he's making, he's making the point that forgiveness is just something that God expects. He just expects us to be people who forgive. And the, the challenge in Jesus as he does, he puts this in a really challenging way. The real challenge is when you've got somebody who keeps coming back to you giving you aggro. If they keep coming back and giving you aggro, that really makes forgiveness harder. Haven't we been here before? The the hard attitude is if he repents, if he's working through it, she's working through it, they're actually trying to change their lifestyle, there's a genuine desire, but there's a struggle. They repent, forgive, and keep forgiving. And Jesus, let, let your attitude be the, the same as a servant to his master. That this is, this, is just, you know, this is just what I'm supposed to do. See, forgiveness, yeah, it's a big thing for us often. But it's a bigger thing for God. See, for God, forgive, the, the, the stakes for God are so much higher. Because sin, it doesn't just, it doesn't just corrupt us, it corrupts everything. You know, the, 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 the world is subject to frustration waiting for Jesus to come back and for his, his church to be revealed. But sin has high stakes. But the reason I have, I have faith, and I must have faith that I can forgive people, is because I have faith that God can forgive me, and that, she, that he chooses to forgive me. So having a, a chat last week, we had, um, or week before last, we had our International Students' Day, lots of people from overseas, had a few of them back for lunch. And one of them was um, a chap from Bangladesh, and he was, uh, he was, he was talking about uh, faith and, and different religions, and he said, and what do, you, what do you believe about people who've never heard your message? So, good question. Um, so we had a little chat about that. And I said, well, what I know is this. I know that, that God 
is just and also that he's merciful and that he's loving. And I know that these aspects to his character and that those aspects of his character, they are expressed in, in extremes. Really. How God holds these extremes in tension, I'll never know. But he knows that in God's world, sin has entered God's world. And, and, I've, and, I've, and I'm tainted with it because I sin. I taint God's universe. I taint his world. And so part of God says, I can't have this. I will have a pure universe. That's the way I designed it. And that, I will get to that place. But on the other hand, is. He's saying, but, but I want to bring forgiveness, and I want to bring mercy, and I want to bring love. And I said, these two things come together on the cross. And on the cross we see God's, God's anger, his wrath, his, his horror, his condemnation of sin poured out. But not on the people who deserve to receive it, but on his own son who didn't. And I said, as if, as if Christ stands in the way of God's wrath, and, and God's hatred and anger of sin, so that... I can be spared the consequences of it. And I said, you know, whatever, all I know about people who've never heard the gospel is that in the end, when God decides where their eternal fate lies, it will be on the basis of his justice and his mercy. And um, the implication was, why did that leave you to room? But anyway, we'll... Um, do you want to move over here? Yeah. Let's make good use of the, uh, use of the facilities. So in, in the end, in the end, God will judge all of us on the basis of his love and on the basis of his justice. And if anything, I know that you know, when, when God goes overboard, he goes overboard on the, on the mercy side. I mean, his, his mercy is just unbelievable and continually, continually poured out towards us. So to be a people of faith, a people who are watchful, people who are forgiving... The thing I want to say is that people who don't take God's mercy for granted. He goes on, they're on the way to Jerusalem. Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was going to a village and ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Old version of the Bible, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. We see, um, we see some amazing things as Christians. Forgiveness is amazing. People being transformed from darkness into life is astonishing. People being healed is just amazing. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a fellow in our church, um, he had a, had a prophecy sort of three or four months ago about, about moving out in gifts of healing. And see, he's been like a kid in a sweet shop. We're praying for people. And amazing things, amazing things he's seen. Um, God's, God's mercy pours itself out in all, in all these ways. But it's, it's easy, if we're not careful, to come to a point where we take God's mercy for granted. Now, we were singing earlier, weren't we? God's, you know, we, God's mercies turn us into a dancing generation or, or, or words to that effect. Uh, but be careful not to do that. See, here you've got, you, you've got a, 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 um, a comparison between people of a, of a religious mentality and people of a relational mentality. Ten people are healed. Nine of them, Jesus said, well, go off and show yourself to the priest so that it's confirmed that, that your healing is genuine. So that's, that's the thing that they were supposed to do. So they go off and do that. But that's it. 
One guy says, this is absolutely amazing. I've got to praise God for this. Jesus, I want to thank you for this. And he comes back, falls at Jesus' feet and says, this is just unbelievable. This is great. See, a religious mentality says something happens and then you go away and leave it because you've done your religious bit. Whatever that is. Relational mentality keeps bringing you back to Jesus. Those nine people who've been healed, did they ever see Jesus again? I don't know. They'd had an encounter with him and that was the end of it. This other guy, a Samaritan, a foreigner, ethnic minority if you like, he's healed and he comes back to Jesus. His faith brought him to Jesus, his faith brought him healing, and his faith brought him back to Jesus again. And can I just, uh, just encourage you, you know, it's, it's, it's easy sometimes to get to a point where we actually take God's mercy for granted. And it's, it's good, it's good just to make sure that we're a people who, who just overflow in praise when we see God move. Now, just, just great this morning here we have a prophetic word and the response is, Lord, thank you for speaking to us. That's a great attitude to have and not to lose that and to work that out in every opportunity that you can because what it does is it keeps bringing you back to Jesus. It keeps bringing you back to encounter him and to have a relationship with him. So that's very briefly on that one. People of faith, people who are watchful, forgiving, they don't take God's mercy for granted. The fourth thing I wanted to say is there are people who understand the times that they live in. They understand the times that they live in. Verse 20, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God doesn't come visibly, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. The kingdom of God is among you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you there he is, or here he is. Don't go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding corn. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked, he replies, where there's a dead body. There the vultures will gather. What's the, the time that we're living in? Peter, in his second letter, he, he, says, he, he says, with God, days like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. And he says, God is patient. God is patient. He is patient with us, wanting all to come to repentance. We are living in the days of God's patience. Um, with, with the coming of Jesus a whole new age started the age of the gospel, the gospel is proclaimed people have an opportunity to come to faith we're living in the days of God's patience but as we read the Bible particularly as we read to, to some of the, the later books in the Bible we get this very strong sense that God's patience is running out there will come a point when God's patience will run out in Psalm 2 uh, the, the psalmist says that, that the wrath of God can flare up 
in a moment. God's wrath is like a slow burning fuse. And it burns and it burns and it burns and it burns and then it sort of disappears somewhere and then it hits the powder keg and bang! And there's a, there's a day when God's patience will run out and, then, and his return will be sudden. Jesus' return will be sudden and cataclysmic. And he uses these two examples of, of the flood in Noah's day and, of, and of, of the day that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And, and yeah, here's Jesus saying, you know, here's Noah's day, there's people there, you know, they're, they're doing their stuff, they're getting married, they're making their plans for the future, and then it starts to rain. It doesn't stop. And Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah, they, they woke up one morning, yeah, they were getting their croissants, and the, 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 you know, the policeman was off to his early shift and whatever, and then suddenly, whoosh, fires come down out of heaven and the whole thing's got burned up. There's a suddenness, a suddenness, a breaking in from heaven that will come when God's patience runs out and we are living in days of God's patience but how long they'll go on for we don't know but all we do know is that that when your time is short you tend to be focused on what's important so if I'm running for the bus in the morning I'm less worried about whether my tie's straight I'm more worried about whether I'm physically going to get on that wretched bus before it disappears into the horizon so your focus is very much on what's important I remember hearing a story um, I don't know how long ago this was anyway there's there's a fellow who was, who was very, very ill in hospital, and he, he was, we'll call him Fred, for the sake of argument. He's visited by a, uh, a prophetic guy who we'll call Andrew. Um, and Fred says to his friend Andrew, he says, am I going to pull through out of this? And Andrew says, Fred, have a great death. Not really what he wanted to hear, but, you know, it's what he needed to hear. And he was quiet for a while, and, he t- and after a while he turned around and he said, Andrew, he said, you're going to see the best death you've seen for years. And this guy, he knew his time was short. It was very, very short. But he drew up a list of, I think it was about 18 people, who he wanted to see before he died. And in the next however many weeks he had, three, four weeks, he led all these people to Christ. And the last person he led to Christ was, was the person who'd been nursing him, mainly responsible for nursing him. And on that night, he passed into glory. When your time's short, when it's very, very short, you are very, very focused. I don't know how short our time is, but it's running out. I was, um, I was listening to, um, to Gordon Brown on Monday, long story anyway, but I was, you know, I was at home, he was on the telly giving his speech to the Labour Party conference. And, you know, from a political perspective, lots of good stuff in there, and he's talking about things that he wants to change, and, he, and I was listening to him thinking, here's a guy who's talking he's a guy who thinks he's going to be around in power for a long time because he's talking long-term things that he wants to do and I sit there thinking that is how the world will be when Jesus comes back there will be people who will be very busy at what they're doing and they'll be busy, they'll be busy they'll be planning they'll be looking ahead they'll expect the world to be going on for years and years ahead and then suddenly bang Jesus will come back and it will be sudden and it will be cataclysmic and it will all end so in this, in this time, in this time when, when our, our time is getting shorter, what do we do? Well, there's lots in Scripture which can give us some tips about this. But here's something for the, that Peter wrote. This is from 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter 4 and verse 7. He says, the end of all things is near. So the end of all things is near. So he's thinking, okay, so where are we going to focus? What are we going to focus our attention on? Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Let us start. 
Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If he speaks, speaks the very word of God. If he serves, do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Here's some things to focus on in the time of God's patience. He talks about prayer. He talks about overwhelming love. And as, as we know, you know, love expresses itself in forgiveness. It expresses itself in mercy. He talks about serving with the gifts that we've got, with, with, with the strength that God provides. He talks about being hospitable. He talks about the kind of environment, of the kind of, the kind of church that he's looking for. And it's, it's, I think it's always a very good question to ask. Where's our focus? Get with Doncaster. Where's your focus? You get this sense that, 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 that time is getting shorter. How long we've got, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's still things to do before Jesus comes back. But then again, he'll come back and no one will be expecting it. They weren't expecting it in Noah's day. They weren't expecting it the day that Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a suddenness to it. But there's a sense here of, of people of faith understanding the times that they're living in. We live in the time of God's patience. But God's patience is running out. So let's be people who are focused. Focus on the things that Scripture wants us to be focused on. And the things that will actually bring us and him the most fulfillment. The very last thing I want to say uh, is this. People of faith, there are people of prayer. On the back of this saying of Jesus, where, he, where he's talking about his coming, he then says, then, the next thing he did is, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And won't God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. And then he says this, however when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So he comes full circle. He starts by talking about faith for forgiveness. He ends by talking about faith, particularly in the context of prayer, but also faith more generally. Something that struck me about this is that when, when Jesus comes back, one of the things that he will come back to is a cry for justice. Again, uh, listening to my friend Gordon on Monday, he was talking about how some of his ambitions for the world. He says he, want, he wants to live in a world where, where injustice and where persecution is not accepted. And he gave some examples like Darfur and uh, Burma. Uh, he said he wanted to live in a world where we weren't polluting ourselves by, you know, suffocating ourselves with pollution, basically. Uh, and a world where every child can go to school. <clears throat> and these are big ambitions, and they're noble ambitions. And there are some things that international communities will be able to do to reduce the effects of inequality in the world. But there's only so much 
Because however somebody tries, however hard communities try to, to reduce inequality or injustice in the world, it breaks out somewhere else. Because our world is sick. It's sick with sin, and that will keep breaking out until the day Jesus comes back. And, and whilst we do cry out for justice, whilst we do cry out for God to intervene in situations, ultimately, ultimately it's only going to change completely for the better when Jesus returns. I remember listening to an evangelist called Eric Townsend, very much man, many years ago now, and he was talking about Jesus' second coming. Uh, and he said, he said, I talk to a lot of people and say, well, I don't want Jesus to come back yet. There's too much I want to do. Honest. He said, well, you know, if you lived in some third world countries, you'd want him back yesterday. And I thought that's very telling, and I've never forgotten that. There are some aspects of injustice in this world that will only end when Jesus returns. And apart, apart from anything else, Jesus will return to a cry for his people, crying out for justice. And can I encourage you to be, to, to, to be a people who do that? To, to cry out to God for something, something way beyond yourselves. Because you'll be joining together with millions of other Christians around the world, praying along the same kind of lines. Yeah, you've got things locally you need to deal with, you've got things in your own church, you'll always have issues, you'll always have things to work through. Be a people who are focused on heaven. You see, it's from heaven, from heaven the rain came on the day of the flood, from heaven the fire came on Sodom, from heaven our Saviour will return and will restore all things. And from heaven come answers to prayer. And, you, and well, whatever else you can do, whatever else you can have an impact, you can have an impact on issues of injustice and you can have that impact through prayer. And can I encourage you, it's, you know, to ask you, know, what, gets you what gets you goat? What gets you moved? What makes you say, God, you've got to do something about this? There's no better place to start than that. But just my last thought to you really is this. He said, what Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on earth? So my question is, Gateway Doncaster, when he comes back, what's he going to find you doing? I don't mean at the precise moment when he comes back, when you're going to be. I'm saying, as a community of people, what will he find you doing? He'll find some churches bickering. He'll find some churches so wrapped up in themselves that they don't realise that there's a world outside. You'll find some churches standing up in the face of persecution. You'll find others riding a wave of revival. You'll find a lot of churches faithfully pursuing their vision. But as a church, how do you want Jesus to find you when he comes back? I expect he'll find you somewhere else. I expect he'll find you with some more people here. But as a church, how do you want him to find you? And can I encourage you to, to consider this, apart from, apart from how else you're found, that you're found to be a people of faith. You're found to be a people who are watchful, people who are forgiving, who are full of praise for God's mercy, understand the days and the age that you're living in, and are people of prayer, crying out for justice, and looking for your Lord to return. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. 